The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. back to horror queers we're talking double amputations we're talking bets for blowjobs and we're talking four americans on a vacation don't just disappear and i'm joe you asked that was actually gonna be my quote <laughs> oh i for sure thought you were gonna go with uh, something from stacy for sure no it's okay i'm just gonna do queer directors advocating for male ass in horror movies so <sighs> yay I, I love me a tucker tookish took us damn it you know i practice these lines in advance and they just never come along <laughs> we're not gonna edit that out that's gonna stay in everyone we are talking carter smith's the ruins today and again you may be like what the fuck that's not very queer but as i already said at the top of this episode and by that i mean like 20 seconds ago yeah. i mean <laughs> the director carter smith is an openly gay man and if you've been with us since the beginning you might actually know that he is a previous guest of our ep- of our of our podcast uh, he was our guest on our episode on Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs, which came out last October. So mm-hmm. if you haven't listened to that, um, do it, because it's awesome. It's true. And last October is when we began. Wait, did I say that? You said from the beginning. <laughs> I was like, dude. Okay, no, I mean, like, like listening to us in the beginning, meaning like, okay, well, if they were here from the beginning, then they obviously were here in October. Whatever, it's not important. <laughs> I'm just saying, you made me look stupid, so now I'm making you look stupid. No, it's even. fine. I get it. No, I'm sorry. We, <laughs> we have to have someone fight, break break this up. So we do have a guest on today's episode. <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> oh, my God, right? Otherwise, it's just two boring white guys talking about plants. All right, everyone. So you may have read his work on such sites like Bloody Disgusting or Gaily yes. Dreadful. They're also really, really, really super cool. I've been following them on Twitter for a long time, and they're just delightful. Please welcome Daxabobbin. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey. hey, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, so I, I've got a question because okay, so I, I always leave all guests getting re- like responsibilities to Joe. So I'm not good enough for you. No. <laughs> Trace no, is too lazy to handle the guests is what no, he's saying. As surprising as it is, I'm actually very shy and I don't like, I have such a fear Get of being told. Get the fuck out of here. No. <laughs> I have such a fear of being told no that I don't want to like I don't want to be responsible for like seeking out guests. <laughs> yeah, which is why I always love it when people suck up to him and I'm like, sure, you go but for that. that. But no, we'll see how far it gets you. That's the trick because again, people think that I'm the really outgoing social one, and I am in a recording. But like mm-hmm. when it comes to like 
networking, you're that person. Yeah, it's a weird dichotomy. Anyway, Dax, (laughs) when I asked you to come on the podcast, I gave you a list. And I'm not sure that this would have been your first pick, but it is the pick that you ended up going with. And I'm curious about why you gravitated to the runes. Honestly, like, I just really love this movie. I think it's really fun and just nasty. I love Mm -hmm. it. Oh, it's super nasty. It's nastier than I remembered. Yeah, me too. I remember being shocked in the theater, but I thought, oh, you know, that was probably just because I was a teenager when I saw the teenager. Oh my God, what is time? Uh, (laughs) I was younger when I saw this and I thought, well, I'm sure time has probably, it's going to reveal that this isn't as bad. And then last night, there were two different times when I had to look away briefly. I mean, I looked back, but... I mean, so do y'all know if y'all watched the unrated version of the film? I did. Unrated version is three minutes longer than the theatrical cut, and um, the two biggest inclusions is obviously the amputation scene, and I think there's a few more shots of Stacy when she's cutting herself open. Okay, so the good gore is what you're saying. I mean, there's a call, like, the handjob scene, that's unrated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's interesting, because, yeah, there was some sex stuff in here that I didn't fully remember so that maybe makes some sense the funny thing is though the handjob scene is actually in the book so i mean joe i know you have read the book dax have you read the book i have not as you all know i am illiterate so oh (laughs) i don't think i knew that (laughs) wait how did you access this link then i think that's why it keeps fucking up honestly (laughs) (laughs) listeners some behind the scenes uh details we've had some audio troubles tonight and it's all dax's fault it is trace he sabotaged me someone please come help (laughs) oh my god it's like all the spider-mans pointing at each other (laughs) so so no i mean like this is one of those things like when this movie came out and we'll go into the release and reception in a bit but like it got very little fanfare it was critically panned audiences hated it like this is a movie that like i feel like in the past couple years i've seen more people recognize as being good but before we jump to that i do want to yeah but the fact that it's a book you know this is a movie about killer plants and the book was written by scott smith and scott smith also wrote the screenplay for the film but he got his name to fame i'm sorry his claim to fame was writing the book a simple plan which sam raimi had adapted into a film in the mid 90s this is his second and to this date final book that he's ever written i can't handle amazing authors who only publish like one book every decade i'm like Mm -hmm. people i need i need that next book where is it i recognize not everybody can be stephen king but i really thought that you meant a simple favor no i was like what i was like there's no way i mean a a simple favor is amazing but it's a very different story from a simple plan (laughs) i'm actually glad you said that though because i bet you we would have had listeners who were like who thought the exact same thing good we're all dumb (laughs) (laughs) a simple plan is the one where they find the buried money and then they have to decide whether or not they're gonna keep it yeah the movies it's like Mm. uh, bill paxton oh billy bob thornton and bridget fonda it's really really good the book is better obviously but like the movie is really good he makes good shit and then the books get turned into good movies yeah except a simple plan was recognized when it came out (laughs) right so okay this book is the topic the the big thing to happen in the mid-2000s so ben stiller knew scott smith and yes it is that ben stiller he was friends with smith from the his early days of um 
adapting a, a simple plan because Ben Stiller actually was trying to get that the rights to that for his production company Red Hour Films, but um, financing issues happened and he didn't get it. So he stayed friends with Smith over the years, and he actually bought the rights to the ruins in 2004, a full two years before the book was even published. That's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> So Ben Stiller had his name on this from the get-go. You're like, fuck all of y'all. You haven't even heard of this book, and I already own the film rights. Yes. <laughs> Nevertheless, though, the book comes out in the summer of 2006. It receives universal acclaim. Like People loved it. The big selling point, though, so A, Gillian Flynn, who, who, the writer of Gone Girl and Dark Places and Sharp Objects, she was still a, a critic for Entertainment Weekly at the time, and she had given it an A-. minus. But at the same time, Stephen King had a, a weekly, oh, I guess a weekly column. Yeah, maybe it was a monthly column actually in entertainment weekly and he devoted an entire column one week to the ruins and he basically called it the book of the summer um he does use that horrible comparison that i hate where he goes it does for mexican vacations what jaws did for new england beaches like now what in the good hell does that mean (laughs) it means don't go to mexico if you're white but i'm about to get in a fight (laughs) (laughs) because as we discussed before we started recording dax you are mexican and i was not aware of that fact (laughs) i am yes mexican and native american good so you have a lot of cultural insight to this film um yeah well we'll we'll see (laughs) (laughs) it's okay it was filmed in australia we're fine yeah i'm australian too (laughs) (laughs) but the big pull quote from stephen king was that it was the best horror novel of the new century so he was like since the year 2000 this is the best horror novel you will read and it was a big deal. And I, I always find it funny, you know, because when I tell people, oh, yeah, it's a book. And I think now more people know it's a book. But like when it was out, the, when the movie was out, people were like, wait, this shitty ass plant and vine movie is a popular book. Ew. Uh, yeah, I really need to read that. It has been sitting on my shelf for so long. Oh, Dax, it's really good. It's I really know. good. It, I, I it, should just read it. We'll, we'll t- and honestly, there aren't there aren't a ton of differences. I'm going to I'm going to barrel through them in a minute just because it's just like, so, OK, actually, no, that's a good segue. So in the rare instance of an author adapting his own novel for the big screen, uh, Scott Smith was actually tasked with writing the screenplay. He tells the story pretty much the same, like point A to point B. It's all there. But what he did was he switched around the fates of the characters. Um, he also downplayed how much the vines fucked with them. The vines talk a lot more in the book and i think maybe the reason they tone that down in the film is because when you're reading it like there's a whole i think there's a whole end of chapter where it's like they could hear the vines laughing at them after one of them Mm -hmm. died and i think it reads really scary but if you i I think because i mean we'll talk about in a second with the reception but like the mere concept of talking plants really like people can't get past that concept yeah it's a sticking point i think that the judicious use of it here is probably the smarter way to go particularly when you're thinking about a I I hesitate to say because I know so many people who read voraciously, but I do think that when you're making a movie, you have to think of a larger possible audience compared to a book, which is maybe a bit more niche. But yeah, I mean, basically, like from like like I said, he just switches around the characters. Like in the book, the Jenna Malone character is actually the first one to die, and her fate is actually removed from the film entirely, which is really upsetting because her death is like one of the most shocking shocking ones in the book. Um, at least in the method of death. 
Stacy, who um, is, you know, the one that cut the vines out of herself in the film, that is actually Eric's fate, the Sean Ashmore character in the book. Um, Stacy's actually our final girl in the book. So there's a bunch of stuff like that where it's like, okay, well, like the plot beats like, are happening correctly, but he's fucking with the characters. So that way, I think the idea was that if you had read the book, you would still be surprised when you watch the movie. Right. I sincerely wish that Stacy had been the final girl in this too. Uh, bite your tongue you're talking about jenna malone dying first then oh i could i could not stand her i was like <laughs> her uselessness like truly knows no bounds in this movie and it's downplayed in the movie because in the book the no. character is a lot more obnoxious oh my god i would actually argue that all the characters are a little bit obnoxious in both texts but by design. And that's why I think people critics had issues with the film because the book you're really it, it is I think it's third person omniscient but like you're in their heads the whole time and like the vines only kill two people in the book every the, all of the other ones die from like human human causes. And because the mm-hmm. book is like the vines are there they're a set piece but it's really about like like all these people slowly going insane, getting paranoid, like all this stuff. And it works really well. Unfortunately, because we can't do that in the movie, we're relying on the performances, which I actually think the performances are really good, but we can't be in their heads like we are in the book. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what you're left with is somewhat unlikable characters making less than popular or wise decisions. So I, you know, Dax, I I feigned outrage when you said that, but I do (laughs) think that the way you reacted is how most people reacted, which is, it's hard, right? When you've got a horror film and you're actively thinking, I don't know that I love these characters because they're, they're just annoying or they're dumb or they're not acting the way that I would like. But I actually think that that's a strength of the film on subsequent viewings. Yeah. I actually, it's not even that I dislike them so much. Uh, I actually didn't find them to be super obnoxious. Like I, I know we'll talk about it probably later, but their line about like four Americans or yeah. whatever they say, mm-hmm. that reminded me of hostile and yes, they are nowhere. Like I, I want all of them to die in hostile. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and which is the point, I guess. Yeah. In this, I was like, now I don't think they deserve to be ate by these vines, really. <laughs> well, but that's the thing, right? Like, Jenna Malone's character may be naggy, but she's not like a terrible human being. I will say the way Amy dies in the book is actually really cool because basically she gets in a fight with the Jonathan Tucker character and she runs off and it's raining and he sees her vomiting and he's like, fuck her. I'm not going to go help her. Well, it turns out the vines were actually crawling down her throat. And so what he thought was her vomiting was actually her being like choked to death by the vines. And then they find her body the next day and they put it in a sleeping bag and they go back to the sleeping bag later. And the vines have eaten her body to the point where it's just like the skeleton and like gore left behind. That is sick. I love it. It's great. And (laughs) I wanted that in this movie. (laughs) I mean, you get versions of a lot of the deaths that we see in the book. So there, I think it's just because if you read that book first and you're expecting it and you're anticipating it even, it's hard, right? Like that's the problem with a well-known adaptation. And of course, the ending has changed drastically because Stacey's our final girl, but I won't go into details on that in case Dax does decide to read it. (laughs) (laughs) To direct the film, though, they brought aboard fashion photographer Carter Smith. Um, This would be his feature directorial debut, but he actually got the gig because of a short film he had done a few years prior called Bug Crush. Yes! I know! (laughs) listeners it's about 30 minutes long so it's a longer short film but joe and i did cover it for our horror queers article segment um back in 2018 and it a 
huge downer, so just be warned. But it's really, really good. And it is a queer horror short. So. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Do you know when the book was written? Like when it came out? Yeah, it came out in July of 06. The rights were purchased in 2004. And then this film comes out in April of 08. Okay, just as I suspected. Um, he definitely stole this from R.L. Stein's oh. Stay Out of the Basement. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. Just need everyone to know the truth. Okay, A, Stay Out of the Basement is a 90s Goosebumps novel. I think it's the second Goosebumps novel. And it, it it's about a dad who is experimenting with plants and becomes like a plant monster. It's not like there's evil vines that are going around the house killing, like going after the kids. But they would. They would. Oh my God. <laughs> Fine. We Fine. all know they would. But I do think it raises uh, a fair point. So Trace, as you take us through reception to this, mm-hmm. I think it's worth acknowledging that the majority of the people could only think of one other story that they wanted to compare this to, and they couldn't fucking let it go. Was it that? Yeah. No, it was Little uh, Shop of Horrors. Uh, oh, come on. That okay. is not even close to the same. Mine is the truth. <laughs> well, here, no, here first. let's go into release and reception because yeah that, that I, I have some things to say about it. Well, i'm sure we all do so yeah the ruins is released on april 4th 2008 by dreamworks a 90 minute runtime unless you have the unrated cut which is 93 minutes uh the budget is eight million dollars so it's actually pretty low wow. for something so low. like this well i mean honestly the the reason they filmed it in australia was because of the tax break but also because like the beach was an hour away they had like three sets one was the mining shaft which was in the studio then they had like the set that was the top of the ruins and then Mm -hmm. like the the long shot of oh actually dax that's the other thing too in the book it's not actually ruins it's a grassy hill with a hole in the middle of it which i think is like oh i think carter smith was way smarter to to make this into a proper runes because it feels so much more cinematic. Mm -hmm. And it's so scary. Yeah. There is minimal CGI in the film. Most of it's going to come from when the vines are like, you know, under the skin, but any long shot of the ruins themselves is like a CGI. It's like there's the base and the top, but then like the connecting part between it is just CGI, the ruins. Yeah. They basically only built the bottom and the top of the Ferrero Rocher mountain. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) um so yeah this opens in the number five slot uh with eight million dollars so it at least does make its production budget back on the first weekend but again number five and (laughs) it opens up behind the kevin spacey card counting drama 21 nims island the jodie foster family film the football comedy with george clooney leatherheads and the animated film horton here's a who what the fuck 2008 classic here's the thing though so this movie comes out about a year and a half after the movie turistas which i actually do like it's very hostile light but that movie also flopped and i think that people were just tired of seeing this type of story because this movie wasn't marketed as a killer vine movie this movie was marketed as kids go to mexico and something bad happens i used to mix them up so much when I was younger, I would mix them up all the time. Which I think is a a testimony to the problem, right? Like the marketing didn't do its job because this is not like Teresa's at all. No, Teresa's is a, well, the thing with Teresa's is though, they didn't even market that because that's an organ like thief movie. And that was not, that was also marketed as, oh, a bunch of Americans who are older, they're more adulty, go to, I guess, Mexico, maybe. I don't remember where it was. I guess it's called Teresa. So it's some Spanish speaking country. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then something bad happens to them 
But that one leans more into the torture porn than I think the ruins does. But I think people confused them or conflated them as one big thing because we're still kind of at the tail end of the torture porn mm-hmm. era at this point. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, I'm done with that. And you're like, but it's not that. Well, and this comes out less than a year after Hostel Part 2, which also flopped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the trailer for this film is about 71 seconds long. Like, it's a minute and 11 seconds, and normal trailers are two and a half minutes. And the only reason I knew this was a book is because the trailer says, based on the worldwide bestseller or whatever. So right. had I at least not seen that trailer once, because I only saw it once in theaters, I would not have read this book. So it goes on to make $17.4 million domestically because it plummets after the first weekend. I mean, plummets even more than it already had. It goes to gross $5.4 million internationally for a worldwide total of $22.8 million. That's it? Yeah. That's it. I shrieked. Yeah. (laughs) It's shocking. If only because when we think about international grosses, like we live in an era now where international grosses will save films, right? Like they Mm -hmm. will make more money internationally than they will domestically. So it's always super weird when you see these little tiny grosses internationally because you just think, did they like not even try what happened there yeah and i just remember loving this movie when i saw it i mean i guess i'm not really remembering the time accurately i was in high school at that time yeah so another baby i I was a freshman (laughs) in college i i was i was uh i was i just turned 19 when this movie came out yeah i was like i want to say 16 Mm mm-hmm I can't count. For so. the record, I was also young. <laughs> you were in your 20s, <laughs> asshole. Um, you were like 25. Wow. Young. That's young. <laughs> Older than we were. I'm sorry. I already had one foot in the ruins grave, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. But yeah, so reception of this was... Well, actually, the critical reception was better than I thought. We're looking at a 48% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 5.41 out of 10. Um, Letterbox score of 5.6 out of 10. That seems accurate, yeah. That seems like it would be pretty split down the middle i would say mm-hmm. but the cinema score for the film was a d plus audiences gave this movie a d plus when it came out oh fuck off it's really funny though considering that the theatrical ending was the happy ending where we don't yeah. see the vine in amy's face because they knew that that would have gotten them like an f yeah sad endings bad cinema score but I want to read y'all just a couple blurbs from reviews because I did pull this and I thought it was really fun. Kyle Smith from the New York Post. When you've got cute young tourists in exotic locale, well, sort of, Mexico in parentheses. What the? I know. <laughs> I'm really going to get in a fucking fight. I know it. Kyle it... Smith's a tool. I actually never agree with him. He goes, ancient Mayan hoodoo and surly peasants with machetes. You expect Yes. I'm sorry. Keep going. Just ignore my cries of outrage. (laughs) You expect a bit more than what the ruins gives you, which is killer plants. Owen Gleiberman, formerly of Entertainment Weekly, but now with Variety. Uh, He sucks, too. He sucks, too. Yeah. Dude, that guy was like, sorry, it's not racist enough. So fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. What a fucking idiot. If you're going to go to Mexico, really give me Mexico. my god gliberman says the ruins is lumpish static and obvious it is a gringo's go home cautionary fright flick done in the spirit of a cheap 50s horror movie except that it leaves you longing for the competence of grade z studio system trash oh my god i just like it 
there's words in there, but they don't make any sense yeah, because salad. none of those references work. It's not even fucking true. How is this film static? Because they're stuck in one place? Like, you're a film critic, sir. We'll talk about the direction of cinematography because, I mean, I think it's shot very well. Yeah. Here's two short ones then. Mark Olson with the Los Angeles Times. Not even a fixer-upper. The ruins should be considered a complete teardown. And then Kirk Honeycutt with The Hollywood Reporter says, while not as silly as it sounds, it nevertheless is silly, in parentheses, as are most horror films. And while certainly different, the payoff isn't there. And then, yes, there were a couple of other reviews that compared it unfavorably to Little Shop of Horrors and said that the movie was so stupid because it was simply about killer plants that all you could think about while watching it was Little Shop of Horrors. I wish you could see my face. Inaccurate. (laughs) I'm like actually cringing. I I don't think about Little Shop of Horrors at all when I'm watching this movie because I'm too busy watching someone get both of their legs amputated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think of that at all. Yeah, like I was saying, I think of like Hostel for sure. Mm-hmm. But not as, not in the like torture porn way, which I don't even know if I like that term. But no, I mean, I mean look, th- this movie, you are watching characters that are suffering. But the I don't think the point of the film is that they're suffering. You know, it's Absolutely like not. like it, it's not reveling in it like something like Hostile or right. even some of the Saw films would be doing. Right. It's just the the fact that they're just ignorant generally, but they it's not willfully like in right. Hostile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would also say that this film has a lot more dread to it. Like yes. you're you're just watching these people slowly go mad, and it's. Like, that's where the suffering comes in. It's not like you're seeing, oh, these local Mexican Mayan natives are taking pleasure in, you know, there's, I do remember when this film came out, there were a bunch of the criticisms about the characters, how they were unlikable, how the women were bitches and stupid. And I did see one, I I remember at least one person actively being like, and the depiction of Mexico is really terrifying because there's this one moment where they not only shoot this poor teenager and they force them up onto the ruins, but then they're later seen cooking a meal while these children are suffering. And I was like, um, <laughs> can we, like, can we take this down a notch? But wait, did, did they watch the movie? There's a reason they're doing that. <laughs> I can't believe they would dare to eat at a time like this. <laughs> It's just like there's no attempt to understand what this movie is actually trying to do. And that's what I find so frustrating. Like if you think it's just a killer plant movie, you're not watching the movie. Mm -hmm. If you don't think that there's more to this movie, then like I just don't know what to tell you. Like, have you seen a movie before? Yeah. How can you just dismiss the women characters as like just bitches? Like, first of all, Stacy is an angel from above. Yeah, she is. (laughs) And Amy isn't a bitch at all. She's just scared. And it's not even just about the ruin. She's scared about losing her boyfriend. Also, well, no, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I told, because I was texting Joe when I was watching this too, because yeah, I, Amy is terrified that her boyfriend's about to go to med school 2,000 miles away. But also we're forgetting the most important thing about Amy. She is hung over right now. Yes. Oh my God. I need to talk about that because that really shook me. I was going to say, no one has ever related more to this than Trace when he was like, I can't imagine being here and being hung over. I couldn't believe when she was throwing up, he was like, okay, let's go. I was like, excuse? Oh, I would no. stay so 
so far away from her. Like, it's not even funny. I know because my hangovers, they consist of the worst migraines in the world. And then they're so bad that they actually make me queasy. So I actually throw up a lot when I'm hungover. I never throw up when I'm drunk. So if I was in Amy's position the day they're going to the ruins, I'm not going because I wouldn't be able to function. That moment when they talk about the distance that they have to walk to get even to the ruins, just like on a hangover. Good day to you, sir. She's Um, probably like super dehydrated. Oh, so dehydrated. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you're going to be a fucking doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. I don't even drink and I know this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then the only thing I really wanted to just kind of make a note of before I throw it back over to you, Joe, is, um, well, two things. One, this is a really good example of daylight horror. And it's even good daylight horror with the CGI, the minimal CGI we get, because, again, there were a ton of practical effects in this film. The CGI looks passable for being as brightly lit as it is. Oh, also... Carter Smith intentionally used as much natural light as possible. So like basically whenever the sun went down, like they were done filming. That's rough. Yeah. I think that's a testimony to his background, like knowing how to use light to capture mood and tone. Like he's, he's using that for horrific purposes as opposed to something like photographing models and making them look gorgeous and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and I mean, he, oh, fuck, I wanted to, in our episode on People Under the Stairs, I commented that, because um, he did do a film after this called Jamie Marks is Dead, which is more of like a drama with horror bits where like this kid dies and his ghost comes back to like talk to the kid who he was in love with, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a queer drama. I hadn't seen it when we did People Under the Stairs, but I did watch it today. It's on Tubi or Peacock if y'all want to go that route. It's really good. It's really, really slow. But it's a very, like, visually, it's a completely different film than this one. It's very, it's a lot of blues and grays, very somber. And so just from a creative standpoint, I like that Smith, who, again, as we've said, is known for photography, goes from something like that's so bright, like the ruins, even though it's dealing with really heavy material, and completely changes his visual style for his next film. Right. And we can even see that in his Into the Dark episode, right? Where he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's got some daylight scenes by the pool, but then he's also shooting a lot of like really compelling visual elements in the club. And then, yeah, he's got that like really good slasher finale inside the house. And yeah, listeners, in case y'all couldn't tell, he also directed the Into the Dark queer horror entry Midnight Kiss. And yeah, other than that, just really that, you know, we have a a studio giving a gay man a his first time directing gig, which I think is really cool. I can tell you folks, I would not have pulled this for my directorial gig. This looks like it would have been a really hard shoot. <laughs> they filmed it in Australia in in the summer, but apparently the summer is Australia's winter. So it was freezing for them. So they actually had to keep squirting the actors with either water or olive oil to make them look sweaty. Yeah, because they would have been freezing. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. Because you always think, oh, well, it doesn't get that cold in Australia. But it's like, no, it does. It 100% does. That's fair. So can I tell you what this movie's about? Go ahead, Joe. All right. After a brief introduction in which an unnamed woman is pulled away into the dark, we open with an aerial shot over the Mexican forest. It's quite pretty. I mean, I, I, I know I'm going to get really technical on this episode just with the filming style, but this is cinematographer Darius Kanji, who has actually done a lot of Fincher's films. He shot the movie Seven uh, in Panic Room. Nice. Okay. Interesting. And also Danny Boyle's The Beach. So he had like uh, experience with uh, exotic locales. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mexico. <laughs> yeah. See, I just really wish that the locals in The Beach would have been. A... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cut to an introduction to best friends Amy, played by Jenna Malone, and Stacy, played by Laura Ramsey. 
future episode the covenant yeah I, laura ramsey has kind of disappeared off the face of the earth like obviously jenna malone's still getting work and we'll have at least one movie to discuss with her in the neon yes. demon but laura ramsey man yeah she did like this she did that movie venom from the director of i know we did last summer and she did the covenant and it's like she just disappeared which is a shame because i would argue that this is probably well i haven't seen venom but this is a really good role for her but it's not like this isn't her movie right this is clearly jenna malone's movie i don't i don't, I don't know. think so i think it's jonathan so? tucker's movie uh, yeah who do, well i i think that that ramsey yeah, gets kind of like who do you who do you relate to most well, right i think ramsey gets the showiest role because when we get to her like self-mutilation scenes later i think her performance is exceptional but i don't yeah i don't really think there is a main i think i think jeff is supposed to be the protagonist but at the end of the day like the kids all get equal screen time really i don't know i think um I think it is Jenna Malone's movie for sure. But in my opinion, I think that Ramsey, I think she's the more interesting character. Oh, 100%. It's always the side girl, right? Never the main girl. For real. (laughs) Boring protagonist syndrome. (laughs) Oh. She's the Helen Shivers of the ruins. Um, Okay. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) All right, so these two are best friends, and they are staying at a Mexican resort with their boyfriends, Jeff, Jonathan Tucker, and Eric, played by Canadian Sean Ashmore, who we previously talked about in The Quiet. I love him so much, as we discussed in The Quiet. Unfortunately, yeah, we don't get him talking about how hard his penis is and how big it is when it's hard versus soft. Just not enough milkshakes in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) I spent so much time trying to mentally figure out if it was Sean Ashmore or, or Aaron or, or yes <laughs> so much time and I'm a twin <laughs> I was like st- I am yes um I was staring at him I was like okay I know their face shapes I, mm-hmm. I think this is the other one and I was wrong well <laughs> but, but this is the most unrecognizable Sean Ashmore has been because he has that shaggy about hair, that hair. beard. But but yeah. that's the funny thing, right? Because I, I mean, Joe, you made fun of me for this off off camera, off camera, off mic. But I know Jonathan Tucker from the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and in that movie, he goes the Sean Ashmore route, where he's like shaggy haired, beard, and unrecognizable. That's the only way I recognize him, actually. Well, <laughs> I I recognize him in this, but I I don't know if I want to say. It. But I always like just I don't know his name. I just call. Like the fish mouth guy. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is that a sexy thing? No, not at all. He he has like a fish mouth. Oh, okay. Sorry. So that, that was not a sexy thing for me then either. I what? feel like you will definitely want to take that out. But it, that is how I recognize him. Oh, no, it's fine. It's all in good fun. I We've said worse things. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Dax is like, yes, I know. I do be listening. But anyway, I, I do like I like this introductory scene of all these kids. They're playing gin, whatever, um, at a in a Mexican resort that has a really shitty pool, mind you. Um, oh, this is a terrible looking resort. It's no wonder <laughs> they wanted to do a day excursion. That pool is way too small for how many people are there. <laughs> but yeah, I do like the dynamics we get set up. I mean, again, like this is a 93 minute movie. We've got to get through these kids really fast. And so I think that the, the the little bit of building it does is enough to like get get this whole group dynamic. Yeah. So into this mix comes German tourist Matthias. Matthias. By Matthias. God damn it! I'm gonna have to change all my notes now. That's how they say <laughs> it in the movie. I know, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> 
It's okay. When I read the book, I was calling him Matthias. Okay, so what is it? Matthias? Matthias. Okay, cool. So into this mix comes German tourist Matthias, who is played by Joe Anderson, who is most distinctively not German. Yeah, he is that not. That was cracking me up. Do we know if his accent is good? I don't think it is. Well, if it was making me laugh, I don't think it is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm German. I, I mean, he wasn't talking about like, Bless oh, him. I was totally going to go moose and scroll. And then I'm like, nope, that's still Russian. That's you Russian. Dumb shit. <laughs> This is why I don't do accents on the show. <laughs> that's fine. That, I just do true. my natural accent. So anyway. Sorry, Joe Anderson. I actually think he's a really good actor, and mm-hmm. he is really good in this, but German he is not. Yeah. <laughs> so he reveals to them that he is planning a day trip to go after his brother, who has wandered off with some woman, to go visit Uncharted Ruins. So he says, hey, if you folks aren't doing anything, you seem cool, you should come with me tomorrow, which is the last day before they head home. Of course it is. It's, it's like the equivalent of like the cop like on his last day before retirement. Okay, well, you're clearly going to die. I can't take this shit anymore. Take my badge. I'm going out. <laughs> I can't stay at this resort anymore. Take my pool party. I'm going to the ruins. (laughs) That was their first mistake, because I would not follow anyone to anywhere where they said we have to walk a lot, and I don't know you. Now I got to talk to you, and I don't know you. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. See, you're speaking my language, because I'm immediately like, I'm sorry, I'm talking to a stranger at the resort? No, sir, I think not. Whereas I'm imagining Trace being like, Oh, did this person come over with like booze and drugs and like good conversation? <laughs> yes, I'm following you to drag him. Okay, no, I'm no, that's not even a drag because it's true. No, <laughs> at, at resorts, when you're at a resort, especially in Mexico, and if it's an all inclusive, like you make friends there, like you're at the same pool every day with the same people because typically, like, you're all coming like for the week. Like, you make friends there. Now, of course, if you don't, like my mother, and you want to sit on the fucking pool chair and read the entire time, that's great. Yes, that's me. I, I split it 50-50. I'm in the chair half the time reading, and then I'm in the pool getting drinks and talking to people. I guess that's fair. I did go on Parahoy twice, and I met a few people that I willingly talked to. Vacation friends are so fun. Mm, let's I mean, not go crazy. It's a hit and miss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you have a great experience, and sometimes you end up trapped on the top of a pyramid, and you die horribly. Exactly. See? It pays to be Those are the only two options. I do think, though, because, I mean, I, I think it takes about 30 minutes before we even get to the ruins. So we actually do spend a good amount of time with these characters before, like, the threat even presents itself. Mm-hmm. And what I like, actually, is this next scene. So we see them, they're they're partying that night at the beach, and we get a little bit of an exposition dump. But I like the way that it's very naturally, organically incorporated in. Mm-hmm. So we learn that they like to play they like to play games. They like to kind of fib with each other. There's a flirty dynamic to uh, Eric and Stacy's relationship where they dare each other to do things. There's like some mild tension between Stacy and Jeff where you can see like they probably only interact because of Amy. And then Amy, we learn, is a flirty drunk who sometimes has a habit of kissing other people who are not her boyfriend. Well, okay, I, I think... I don't think it's a recurring thing. And I, again, I because I, I reread the plot of the book today and they, they play more games. And like, there's one game they always play. But I know in the book, it's like Stacy had, had, had a history of cheating on Eric. So that was something that was already in their relationship. So I guess they kind uh, of okay. give it to Amy. But right. I don't think that 
she has a history of cheating on him or kissing men. I think it's just this particular moment. I don't, I don't know though. Cause I guess Eric is like, I bet you she's going to kiss him. <laughs> yeah. They make it seem like she's done it uh, at least a few times. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but then when they do get up to the ruins and it all comes out, it is this incident that they talk about. So it, yeah. I think you can read it either way. I yeah, guess. That, yeah. I, I got a little confused there. I was just like, how does he not care? And then I was like, Oh yeah, they're all dying. i do like that scene where she's talking about her relationship and he's like um we're dying right now i know i love that least of my concerns he's like would you care and i'm like you know what you're right jeff (laughs) (laughs) point to jeff in this instance yeah yeah uh okay so Amy has unfortunately gotten incredibly drunk. So the next morning, after a little bit of comedy with Matthias's Greek friends, so he was originally going to go with a bunch of Greek people, but they are way too drunk and like passed out on the beach. So they're definitely not coming. And at this point, this is where we see Jeff goading Amy to shake off of her hangover, even though she is actively vomiting. And also we get to see Tukas. So yeah, we get Laura Ramsey boobage, and then we get um, Jonathan Tucker took us equal opportunity nudity, and I'm loving it. I am too, and honestly, I feel like there's more shots of Tucker's butt than there are because I feel I feel like Laura Ramsey's boob is like side boob, right? Like when she's like taking her top off, it's side boob. Yeah, ah, okay. Um, you can also tell that uh, Smith was definitely using the landscape to his uh, benefit here because the shots of Jeff like jogging on the beach is just this actually reminding me of the lake house from earlier this year, but it's just these long shots of the beach. Oh, sorry, the beach house. Oh my god, not the lake house. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> oh my god, I love that Sandra Bullock film where she steps on that thing in her foot and it's like, ah! Yes, you're the very the same. Lead. You're burying the lead with the magic time-traveling mailbox movie, but yes. <laughs> because I'm not interested in that because it's not a horror film. I lo- It kind of is, but I love it. <laughs> it's a romantic horror film. <laughs> Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. Uh-huh. But yeah, um... And I, I do kind of like the little bit of humor we get after a uh, post blowjob. And Amy's like, what are you so happy about? Because he just mm-hmm. came. Yeah. <laughs> it's nasty. It just seems very sticky. I think about semen in Mexico and I'm like, oh, just oh like sweat and semen everywhere on your body. But it's not sweaty. It's just olive oil. Oh, oh. Which is also disturbing. <laughs> I think about that like a lot. I'm like, oh, God, that was all olive oil. <laughs> It seems so uncomfortable. I just feel like it'd be very slippery, right? Like anything you tried to grab would just like slide out of your hands. <laughs> Cold wait, what are, wait, what are we talking about now? Yeah, I don't <laughs> which know. one are we talking about? Although, wait, if they, if it really was olive oil, that hand job would be really, really easy. Yeah, yeah, that's some natural lube right there. I'm gonna literally fling myself off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say. I don't love the idea of having sex and then just going somewhere immediately. Like that's Oh, I'm fine with that. I just don't want to have sex after I eat. There's like leakage stuff to deal with. No? No? I mean that doesn't take like an hour. I have not (laughs) considered those logistics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's plan accordingly the next time that we go on vacation. Check your leakage. Yeah, check that leakage. Some people hold it in, Joe. Okay, goodbye. Let's move on. (laughs) 
<laughs> so they are, so it's our foursome, and then we've got Matthias, and then we've also got Dimitri, who we've not mentioned. Dimitri is one of the only few Greeks who is able to make the trip because he has not passed out, and he is played by Dimitri Bavarius. And then Dak's big change in the book is that um, Dimitri's the one that has his legs, like, broken and has to have them amputated in the book, not Matthias. Okay, yeah, I'm still stuck on the leakage comment. <laughs> <laughs> Dax, come back. Dax. You know what we're about. <laughs> oh my god, is this my semen moment? Am I gonna have a moment? Yeah, jo- that's gonna be people. Gonna be like, I remember the time Joe talked about leakage, and I stopped listening to the podcast. <laughs> mm, no, I, I think perhaps not. That's fair. All right, so they hop in a taxi after they take a bus, which I'm like, she is hungover, and they took a bus and oh, then yeah. a taxi and then a walk. Again, I say no to this. It looks disgusting as fuck. Like, just like, no, sorry, not not the country, but like, it just looks miserable. Yeah, it, I think part of this is that, hmm, how to talk about this. Well, um, try it, and if it's bad, we'll cut it out. There is a conversation to be had about whether this film is coming down on these four for being stupid American teenagers who should have known their place and they should have stayed on the resort Mm -hmm. or is it coming down on the mexican culture for being anti-american yeah because i i did see both comments when this film came out originally and i actually think that both are a little bit misguided if you're really thinking about it you know we mentioned a little bit about how the mexican people are obviously doing this to protect humanity if you see the deleted alternative ending yeah you don't want this shit getting back to america usa (laughs) a-okay But with that in mind, I do think, yeah, like there's there is a little bit of xenophobia here where it's like, well, be careful about getting out of your American lane because you never know what you're going to encounter in that scary Mexican countryside. But I what sets it apart, though, from something like Hostel or Teresa's is that the foreigners aren't killing Americans or tourists, for that matter just because they're doing it for the, for the greater good, you know? So I think, I, I, I think you can, I I see that reading and I see how you can get that reading. But I think again, when you're like, well, obviously, yeah, they don't want it to get out into the world because these plants will literally take us all over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it will be Little Shop of Horrors ending. <laughs> oh my God. Amy with her face covered in vines is climbing up top the, what is it? The CN Tower? Yes. No, that's Sear, the Sears Tower. Sears Tower. There we go. But I do, I, I actually, I mean, we'll get to it in a minute, but I do like how they gradually have more green moss growing on their clothes as the film goes on. Oh yeah. It's a great subtle visual cue. Mm-hmm. So they end up bribing a taxi driver and they are dropped off at a abandoned car. They see some wary locals who refuse to engage with them. And then they have to go on a hidden path, at which point I'm just like, <laughs> folks. The second, f- first of all, we also looked at the fact that the driver said, no, this is bad place. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go yeah. there. Yeah. And then they wave money and he's like, okay, I'll take you. And then he like... <laughs> Beads off like a speed demon. I love it. He sold these kids out for $20. I know. I love that. (laughs) You're stupid. Bye. And they even actually say out loud, they're like, why was it covered? The path? And I'm like, just leave it. Just leave it alone. Don't go there. (laughs) And yet, I do love that this all feels very authentic. Like, I can imagine being 
I mean, you both know I would be the Amy in the group. I'd be off to the side with my arms crossed being like, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should go back to the all-inclusive resort and switch out key monkeys. And you'd be like, <laughs> no, it's fine. We're already out here. Let's just do this. What are we going to do? Turn around? I mean, honestly, that I would say yes. But that's the thing. This is the, this is an example of what I was talking about. In the book, like that, you can you can see each character rationalizing it inside their head as to why they keep going. You don't right. get that in the movie, which is why you get the typical well, these characters are making stupid decisions tropes. Yeah, but then it's like we want to watch a movie, so they gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the movie, and then they turn around. You're like, well, that was the worst short I've ever seen. <laughs> like kids partying in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> They turn around and just go back and get drunk, and then and then they go home. That's it. Yeah, that Thanks for coming. So <laughs> okay, tip your tip your usher on the way out of the theater. <laughs> okay, so they do end up, of course, persisting. This was something I had hadn't. This was something I hadn't caught before on previous watches. There's a point here where Eric actually mimics Stacy as they're walking along the path. And I was like, oh, that's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. I know I loved uh, it. I, I noticed that this that. time too. I did, I never noticed it before this last watch, and I was like, "That is something, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, "Did you just funny. mimic me?" I love that. It's pretty funny. So they end up breaking into a clearing, and there's this giant ruin right in front of them, and it's pretty impressive. And there's like no time at this point. The movie kicks in full force. Our men arrive on horseback with bow and arrows and guns. Uh, They're being threatened, but they don't fully speak the language, which again can be considered a cultural criticism, like Americans traveling to countries and not being able to speak the language. Well, that reminds me. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Why was... I think it was Jeff. Why was he saying they do not speak Spanish? Well, because they weren't speaking Spanish, were they? I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> um, no, because because, because they, they weren't. They, they, they actually weren't speaking Spanish. So I, I, I think the idea was, I think the ruins themselves weren't maybe inherently Mexican. Like, I know they're in Mexico, but maybe it was some kind of other culture. Like, okay. and they do talk about Mayan. Right. And yeah. so they were I think I think the whole thing is that they, they are speaking some kind of either like not primitive, but like an ancient dialect. If only there was a search engine where I could just go on it and find <laughs> out what language and why. I mean, it, 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 it's been about 12 years since I read the book because I read it when it came out, uh, I, I guess, 13 years. Um, but I, I, I know there's an explanation for that because, yeah, they are not speaking Spanish because they try to speak Spanish to them and they don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, that was really I did watch it. me. I did because then I was like, "Are they even in Mexico?" Then I got really confused. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, we wandered into another country back. <laughs> I did watch it with subtitles on, and they don't even cue what language the locals right. are speaking. So all you're getting is the dialect from the characters that we know. Yeah, okay. which I really appreciated because then it's like I really have no idea what they're saying. Yeah, we are we are all these kids at this point. Well, I mean, in this scenario, because I think at this point, the guy already is waving around the gun, right? So Mm -hmm. they don't want to move closer to him because they're like, okay, well, I think he's threatening us. And so, of course, then it's Amy who fucks everything up by stepping on the plants. What do you mean? Of course, it's Amy who fucks (laughs) everything up. Because, well, I'll bring it up later. But like, she's like, we should ask them for help. I'm like, they literally just killed one of you. I don't think they want to help. Oh, yeah, that moment is real, real dumb. 
That's what made me hate her. Bad character. But but she, wait, she's the one though. When they uncover the hidden path, and she's like, "Hey, maybe it's hidden for a reason." Yeah, Yeah. Amy's the voice of reason in this group. So honestly, for her to be naggy for the rest of it, when really she knew from the get go, this is like I warned you, fuckers. Yeah, I I I, I buy into her reasoning here. Yeah, in this case, she is hanging back and she won't stop taking pictures. And we do have Matthias who goes, he does end up approaching them because he gives them his phone so mm-hmm. that he can say like, hey, I'm looking for my brother Heinrich. Heim- yeah, Heinrich. I'm looking for my brother Heinrich. And they end up taking the phone and that's when Amy steps on the plant. Uh, Dimitri also steps on the plant. He is just immediately shot in the head. <laughs> it's, I think that's a real, no, but hey, so <laughs> this, that is really good. Like, I think if you're not familiar with the story, that's a really good way to be like, oh shit, we are, we yeah, are yeah. in this shit now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, pretty shocking. legitimate stakes. So Dimitri's done and the rest of them freak out. They are forced at gunpoint up to the top of the rooms. And at this point they discover that there are tents there, but they also have no cell phone reception. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course. I will say, though, that it at least makes sense in Mexico that you don't have cell phone reception. (laughs) Oh, sure. Well, but you have Matias that says, oh, I have a world phone, which means I guess he gets reception anywhere. That's a magic device. No, it's a satellite phone. There you go. I I thought he said it was one of those. He goes, it's one of those world phones. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's German. He doesn't speak good English. (laughs) You know, a world phone. Okay, so at this point, Matthias immediately discovers his brother's body, and it is covered in vines. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeff goes into full leader mode. He's like, it's okay. The hotel's going to notice our absence. If we're not back tomorrow to check out, all we have to do is conserve our supplies. Well, and that's the thing. In both the book and the movie, it's like, oh, the Greeks will be here soon. That yeah. is the entire impetus for it, where they're like, okay, we at least have an end game in mind where we just have to survive until the Greeks can get here. And I do mm-hmm. think that it does. It's a little bit better in the book because if they just keep bringing it up, whereas in the movie, it's like, all right, like we're just kind of surviving day by day. Yeah, I feel like there's more of the onus on the cell phone as the savior option right. for the better part of the film. Which is actually where we're at. So they hear a cell phone ringing and they realize that the sound is coming from the pit at the center of the dig. So Matthias volunteers to go down because he recognizes it as Heim. Damn it, is it Hein Rick? Hein, like Heine, Rick, like Rick okay. and Morty. So Hein Rick. Heinrich. So Matthias volunteers to go down because he recognizes that it's his brother's cell phone ring because they've got the same cell phone ring. Mm-hmm. Yay. So he gets lowered down on this rope that is there and it's all going super fine, guys. And then the rope breaks and he just falls into the darkness. So I looked for this. The rope just breaks because, right? There's no planty mm-hmm. reason behind it. Yeah, there's no house on Haunted Hill nonsense going on. Well, no, yeah, because in, in the book, it is that the vines have grown into the rope. And as we've already learned, the vines uh, sap is acidic. So it actually does burn the rope in the book. I mean, I do think you could probably read that when you learn that the vines and the plants have infected everything and they are growing on everything. Like you could go back and say, oh, that's probably why the rope broke. They oh, just I, just, I just thought it was an old ass rope. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's how the movie presents it. <laughs> so there is enough rope left to lower someone most of the way down. So Stacy is volunteered because she's the lightest. We so. are like making light of this fall, though, because when that rope snaps, it's like a good like three seconds before you hear him hit the ground. <laughs> mm. Oh, he's nowhere near the bottom. Yeah, that's wild. 
This is immediately where you think, okay, well, I don't really know what's happening with the people at the base of the ruins, but there's tents up here and they've got enough water. And you're thinking, yeah, the Greeks are going to come or somebody's going to notice that they're not gone. It's probably okay. <laughs> and then this happens and you just think, okay, now we got like, we're firmly in the descent territory or like one of those other adventures where you just think, this is where you got to let that person go because yeah. they're going to impede the survival of the rest of the group. Serial killer over here. <laughs> <laughs> I am practical. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like when you, when you, when they get down there and they find that he shit himself and he's like paralyzed. Like, I mean, I get wanting to save him, but honestly, at that point, it's like maybe bash his head in with a rock. Oh God. <laughs> okay. So, never mind. I take it back. You're a serial killer. Dax is just slowly backing away. <laughs> like, what we, kind of podcast is this? We can't do that though, because we, if we, if we lost him now, we'd lose the amputation scene. So Weak we've got to keep him around. And serial killers. <laughs> so confused. But no, I agree. I, I would probably leave that guy down there because like the rope is snapped. I'm tired. Like one of us is hung over. I don't know. The logistics, they don't work out in his favor. And and this is where, again, because in the book, this is Eric that goes down to get him instead of Stacy. Which I think it's hilarious that Jenna Malone, she she just stands there until Stacy volunteers. And then I'm pretty sure, doesn't she say thank you? Like, you bitch. <laughs> um, I would not be going down there. But the, the only reason I wanted to draw attention, because I'm going to stop comparing to the book so much, but the only reason I wanted to bring it up is because in the book, Eric is the one who goes through the most suffering. They switch it to Stacy in the movie because, oh, we have to have the blonde white girl suffer more, right? That's kind of your horror movie trope. And I don't know if that was the mindset that Scott Smith would have when he made the switch. But I think that definitely is like if, you, if you're coming down on this movie, you're already like, oh, well, like, honestly, they all suffer. Yes. And really, Matthias gets it pretty bad. But mm -hmm. Stacy also is like, it's like, oh, well, we're changing the story to where the girl, this white girl is now suffering. Yeah, there is something to be said about having a woman in peril and it being more pleasurable quote unquote for horror movie audiences it's what we're trained to expect mm -hmm. so it's entirely possible and they might have thought it would get like sympathy points you know like more people would care if it was her you're right like i mean i care more about stacy than I would if it was Sean Ashmore. I mean, I love Sean Ashmore, but his character is probably the least developed one in the film. Yeah, but what if it was more developed because he was going to suffer more? And that's mm. entirely possible. Like, but unfortunately, we'll never know. But you're right. And so I can see though someone watching this like, OK, well, now you change it to where instead of the guy going through the suffering, you're making it this woman. So it's almost I, I mean, I don't think the movie is misogynistic, obviously, but I could see that argument coming up if someone were really doing a deep dive into this. Yeah, it could have also just been random. They could have been like, oh, we, we're just changing everybody up. And then that <laughs> is what she got. And Scott Smith her. just put all the names in a hat and put the fates and just like drew yep. them out one at a time and was like, okay, this is how we're doing it. Exactly. Yep. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> we do see this a lot in adaptations, though, where random, seemingly random choices are made about like, oh, this does happen, but it happens to somebody else. And it's never quite clear why that decision gets made. So it's mm -hmm. it's worth speculating about. Yeah, for sure. I would. I mean, I would love to pick Smith's brain, to be honest. Carter and, um, and Scott. I was going to say, you can probably ask Carter. He might have some insight. All this to say, let's get back to it. Yes. So it's important to note that Stacy does injure herself when she is jump falling the distance to the ground because her knee leg injury will come back. 
Make and the, oh, th- th- this is probably the first like oof moment. Like, I mean, I know we get like Dimitri with his arrow and the, his head getting blown up, but like when she pulls that shard of glass out of her knee, which looks like it's like through like the joint. Oof, oof, oof. Mm. It's icky. Yeah. So we discover that Matthias has likely broken his back. So again, we've got Jeff going into leader mode, and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna build a stretcher. We're gonna load him up. We're gonna need both girls to go down into the hole." <laughs> It's like, okay, fuck you, Jeff. But uh, yeah, he's taking charge. This is when Amy's like, I'm just going to go ration with these guys. They seem reasonable. So she goes down and when it doesn't work out, she gets really mad. She throws a plant at a child and a child is murdered. Oh, Ring the bell for a child murder. This is so good. I, I, I This is the point, though, when you're like, oh, these people are serious. Like, it's... Yeah. It's such a good moment. And I also love how like, I mean, you see the boy's mother crying over his body, but I love how little thought they give to it. And I think I think it's really it really raises the stakes for the people that we know, because we didn't know this kid. And these villagers did know this kid and shot him immediately. (laughs) It's absolutely one of those moments where you realize, oh, this is not because they are Americans or because they are tourists. This is because they have touched something and that thing cannot be allowed to leave this area. It's kind of reminiscent of the time we're in now, right? It's, I mean, it's basically a virus. Like this plant touches you, you have the spores on your clothes. You cannot leave. Yeah, this is COVID, Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so after Amy gets this child murdered, she then consents to go down into the hole and they, oh boy, they are forced to lift Mateus. Nope. They're forced to live Mateus. Nope. They're forced to lift. Shut up. (laughs) So they are forced to live to. Oh, my God. Why can I say it? So they have to lift Matthias. 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 They got to lift the guy. They got (laughs) to lift the guy. They lift Faux-Germain up into the stretcher. And they do it so badly. Like he bends in the weight at the waist and it is so painful. To that watch. made me shriek. It made me yeah. shriek out loud when I saw it. I was like, ah, oh, that was the worst way you could have done that. And I just love how Jeff was like, you're too weak. We got to do this. It's like, dang, but you trust them to lift this guy and not break him in half. There there are sound effects of his bones cracking when they lift him up because it's his spine rearranging, oh, which is God. super fun. I also wanted to point out, too, that um, if, if you're an attentive viewer, both when Stacy and when Amy is going down later down the shaft, you I mean, you know, there's vines that line the wall of the shaft. There's mm. actually a few CGI bits of vines moving where you can see them moving and kind of looking down on them as they go down the shaft. Oh, interesting. OK, I hadn't recognized that. So, yeah, it's it's like it's very subtle. It's like one little piece of vine that's like just moving around. But like on, on a rewatch, like you, you can look for it and see it. I do also love that at this moment, we're not worried. Like I was very worried that the stretcher was going to break, like they weren't going to be able to get him yeah. up and then the girls would be stuck down there. So I was actually really happy that we just immediately cut. They're all back up at the top and uh, Jeff is just taking a look and reeling realizing oh shit this is not good (laughs) (laughs) yes no it's like honestly i always say this a lot when in a movie when they're like oh we have to go drive to x 
location. And I'm always like, oh, now we got to sit in this car with them as they go to this location. But then the movie instead just cuts to them already there. It's the best mm. thing in the world. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> what if they just threw him back? They were like, you know what? We don't have enough water for this. Oh, my God. Part of our serial club. <laughs> yeah. Who's the serial killer now? No, you, you, you just oh, grab him by the legs it. and you hang him upside down and you just drop him head first down the shaft. All right. I didn't say all that. That's that's what you implied. The implications there. You know what? Yeah, I totally heard it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So just in case you didn't feel uncomfortable enough about the leakage comments earlier, this is the <laughs> moment where Stacy, to compensate for her guilt, gives Eric a handy J in the tent in front of Amy. So this is something that is in the book and it's not in the theatrical cut. So it was filmed, they cut it out and they put it back in the unrated cut. Um, do we, f- I'm not a big fan of using the word necessary, but do we feel like this scene is necessary? I do. I 100% think so. Why? I think the reason is because this is a traumatic incident that they've all been through, right? And Stacy feels the most responsible, which is irrational, but it's how she feels. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea that, you know, we'll, we'll often see in movies that depict grief, people acting out of character or what we might consider irrational. And in this moment, it's kind of like, how does she cope with this? She looks for intimacy, something that's going to make her feel calm that's going to give her and presumably eric a little bit of pleasure and i will say this is not a happy hand job <laughs> like this is not the kind of thing where you're like oh steamy you're just like oh this is a sad hand job but you can tell why she's doing it what's funny is i think that actually is the justification for it in the book i don't really remember but i think that is what it is but that's interesting that you're gathering that because i do think though i think you and i have talked about this before joe and dax maybe you agree I'm really not a big fan of when people say that people make stupid decisions in horror movies because yeah, like how do you know? <laughs> well, under certain situations, you know, like, okay, if you're being chased by a serial killer and you go left or right and like, you know, maybe left looks like the safer route and you go right instead. It's just one of the, like, your, your brain is working on overtime. Like I don't do well under stress. So if I'm about to be killed, or if I'm in a situation like say, you know, killer vines on a bunch of ruins and a bunch of uh, local villagers are on the bottom trying to kill me. I might make some silly decisions too. So your rationale for Stacey does make sense. I don't think the movie gives us that. So you're making that up, but <laughs> I, but that, but that's okay. Like I, I think w- whenever I'm watching a movie and someone makes a stupid decision, I'm like, well, I mean, right now I'm watching this. Like I wouldn't make that decision, but in that situation, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. In I, this I moment. often think of that. I'm, I'm always like, I don't know what I would do. That seems real dumb. And I got to, I gotta believe I wouldn't do that. Right. I don't know. I don't think that that was in my version. I don't think I saw the unrated. So then you watch watch the theatrical cut then. You missed out on the gore. Yeah, there's some extra gore later on. I mean, not a bunch. It's like extra shots. A couple shots of like when the amputation happens and Stacey cutting herself open. Dang. Mm. I would have liked to see that. But yeah, I don't I don't think I got the sad hand job. And granted, the sad hand job is 45 seconds of the three minutes of extra footage. So it's like a third of it. There's no way that he could get it up, right? Like they are too stressed. Um, I don't I mean, if someone's just, you know, tugging on your wiener, just I, I think it's biology at that point. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Maybe know. I have an overactive wiener. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> Tug on mine for a bit, and it's good to go. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. My mom is not listening to this episode. Oh, my mom stopped listening a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I don't know what happened. They just disinvited me, and they. <laughs> I definitely was not there. (laughs) I definitely was not on that podcast. You don't need to listen. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. This podcast is rated M for not for moms. Yeah. Which I love. I will say I wanted to make a joke about Charlie's Theron in Prometheus, but I will save that for another time. Oh, for stupid decisions. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, we are all Charlie's in this moment. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so the morning breaks, and this is when Eric finds another body hidden beneath the flowers. So we're starting to piece things together. Also, this... mm-hmm. while he's peeing, we're we're so the camera's positioned in the vines, looking up at Eric as he's peeing. You're looking at Eric, but if you look at the vines, you can see them moving. I mean, it's all about to come to a head. Right oh now. yeah, for sure, for sure. And again, like because again, at this point, like people going to see this movie if they haven't read the book or the reviews, <laughs> they don't know it's a killer vine movie yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the vine reveal happens at the 49 minute mark of this 90 minute movie. Yeah, it's good. It's I don't want to say it's a slow burn because it's absolutely not. No. But it's a movie that takes its pace, takes mm-hmm. its time. There we go. Uh, yeah, so at this exact same moment, Stacy wakes up and she realizes that the vines have breached the tent. So you can actually see that they're actually in the corners of the tent. It's very creepy when you know what to look for. And they have obviously crawled inside of her leg wound. Oh. And at the same time, Amy goes to check on Matthias and she realizes that his legs are nearly entirely consumed. Ooh. <laughs> it is rough. That's sick. It is. It's really fucked up and I love it. And it's really like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've already said the movie's already kicked into high gear, but this is like one bad thing on top of one bad thing on top of a really bad thing. It's like, who discovered the body? Uh, well, I've discovered something's inside my knee. Uh, well, I have no legs. <laughs> I did want to give credit to just the vine maker because they did have a head vine maker on as a position on the set. Uh, his name oh was God, Gary Cameron. Dream job. <laughs> job. How do I get that on my resume? <laughs> So also a lot of reviews pointed out that it looked like pot leaves. So they were just like, again, a lot of reviews were like, would you really be scared of a bunch of pot leaves coming after you? Real dumb. <laughs> so people saw the beach. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the vines were actually modeled after pumpkin vines and the leaves themselves were modeled after the Tiarea leaf, uh, which is more specifically nicknamed the Jeepers Creepers leaf. Hmm, I like it. I think the plants look really good and I like the flowers particularly when they when we see them moving to simulate the mimicry of the sounds oh yeah same i think it's really effective yeah i think it's i mean again with the exception of when they're actually moving all of these vines are real and on set which i think would just be really creepy if you were an actor mm-hmm. <laughs> not like that that's how we get the good performances because they're like fuck they're here <laughs> they're everywhere oh my god <laughs> Carter's like, uh, kids, we're just going to have you sleep in that tent for real overnight. <laughs> they just freeze to death. And then they wake up and they're like, oh, by the way, head plant ringer. Just uh, put them all in the corners. Hope mm. you enjoy. Bye. I mean, it's also like, I mean, this is a body horror movie, you know, and this, I mean, oh, sure. body horror is a very intense t- subgenre of horror. And I think if you go into a body horror movie and don't realize that's what you're getting, like imagine walking into a Cronenberg movie and not knowing it was a Cronenberg movie, you know? Right. Secret Cronenberg. I love it. <laughs> you know what's wild is I was sitting here thinking about how this is uh, a body horror movie, which I feel like it doesn't really get mentioned a lot. No, you no. Know, when people are talking about body horror, and maybe it's because there is like David Cronenberg and that's immediately what people go to. But oh, sure. I really don't fucks with 
body horror like that. So I'm like sitting here. I'm like, why did I fucking pick this? Because this movie is so nasty. <laughs> and we're not even at the money shot yet, but we're about to get there. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so good, though. It's so good. It really is. So at this point, they hear the cell phone ringing again. And this is where we get the quote unquote, like really major action set piece since they first got up to the top here. And this is the biggest instance of CGI in the film. Yeah. And I think this is actually the part when people say, oh, well, it doesn't look very convincing. They're thinking of this scene in particular, which is like, yeah, it's not the best. Yeah, it's a little rough. I, I don't even think it's rough. I mean, honestly, well, the, the reason it looks fine is because it's so dark. Like, this is the one scene that's really dark and because it's in a shaft. And as we've discussed multiple times, Joe, like the best way to use maybe mid or poor quality CGI is in darkly lit things. When it's bright, it's going like, to expose all the flaws with it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the only thing that looks maybe bad is when the vine actually grabs her hand. But like when they're going up and the vines are like, oh, no, I think it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think I think it looks fine. Yeah. For me, it was literally that one little instance that you talked about. It's when it reaches out and grabs her hand. You're like, "Mm, okay. well, then it's a question for y'all, because that's obviously like the jump scare of the movie, because you do not expect that these vines are just going to fucking like come to life and grab her. <laughs> I do love the reveal of the mimicking flowers. And again, the movie yes. uses it a lot less than the book, but I think it's really scary in the book. But this, yeah, you're right, Joe. This is the moment. It's either the CGI or the mere concept of living plants with flowers that mimic sound. I have no problem accepting this as a, as a plot point. <laughs> Oh, I mean, if you watch horror movies, there's a point where you just have to give yourself over. Like, if you're just constantly watching movies and being like, well, I don't think that that would happen. Oh, well, I don't believe that that creature is real. It's like, you're going to have a really fucking boring watch list because you got to be able to suspend your disbelief. Wish I could, like, stand and applaud that. (laughs) Because I'm always like, review what you saw, not what you wanted to see. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't count. Did you make the movie? No. So just fucking say what you saw. Like that's all. Well, yeah. and that's why when we do this, I mean, granted, if it's a movie I don't give a shit about, then like, I mean, we'll still go through it, but I'm not gonna like passionately defend it. Um, but like even something like this, where I'm like, look, like when you can like, like that's why it's I think it's important to like listen to commentaries and re and, like watch the featurettes and the on the Blu-rays and stuff because mm. it, it'll help you understand. But oh, actually, I'm sorry. It'll help you understand and maybe be more forgiving or understand some things. Now, granted, the argument can also be said, well, you should also like the movie should give you everything you need to know on a viewing. You know, you shouldn't have it needs to stand by itself. Yeah. So you shouldn't have to have the director say, well, this is what I was going for, because if you didn't get that on the viewing, well, then the director didn't do his job. Sure. But on the flip side, you can have the director say, this is what I was going for. Then you can rewatch it and say, oh, I do see that now, you know? So it's a double-edged sword for me. Yeah, there's something to be said for being able to understand what people are going for. But I think also understanding some of the work and the decision-making that goes into this. Like, when we look at this scene in particular and we say, okay, if you can't buy the concept of the plants, like, this movie is just not for you. It's not going to work for you now. It's not going to work for you later. Mm-hmm. If you can forgive the momentary bit of CGI where it doesn't look great, that's fine. Because then you've got this whole sequence where they're trying to go up this fucking shaft mm-hmm. and you just see all those leaves grabbing at them and rustling. It is shot really well. The music is kicking in. The girls look genuinely terrified. Yeah. 
if if this sequence doesn't get your adrenaline going, it's like turn the movie off. It's not for you. Yeah, yeah. Like it is done. You will not enjoy the rest of this movie. I mean, I say enjoy loosely because again, I don't even think I enjoy the rest of this movie, but I like the rest of this movie. <laughs> it depends on your pension for just watching these poor suckers get picked <laughs> off one by one. Does the jump scare work for y'all? Yeah, I don't think it got me, but I liked it. You know. Mm-hmm. But I also have seen this movie quite a few times, so yeah, I can't right. really remember the first time I saw it because it was so long ago at this point. That's fair. Sometimes it, I'm definitely becoming one of those jaded viewers where I chase the high and I'm like, oh, what does it feel like to be scared? I can't remember anymore. Oh, my yeah. God. That just reminded me like a uh, quick sidebar. My ex-fiance texted me like last night and she sent me uh, like a meme and I, I don't know what it was from, but it was like, if your favorite horror movie is hereditary, then you're constantly trying to chase the high and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you didn't need to really drag me. Like, I didn't really prepare for this, but you're right. You didn't need to come for me so hard. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, thanks. And actually, all of the ones that she sent me, it was like, it follows hereditary, scream and the shining. And I was like, these are all pretty accurate. And I, I came here for a good time. I didn't come here and drag like this <laughs> well and even on that note though i mean you know yeah i think that maybe some people don't find this scary because of that concept of plants but joe I, I agree with what you said earlier where you said it really does build dread very well yeah the the mood and atmosphere of this even though it's on a bright sunny top of a gold ruins like mm-hmm. it's never like a happy movie like the hope like oh. hope is gone like even though there is hope that the greeks will come and that the cell phone will work like it just always feels hopeless for them. And I do appreciate that. Yeah, I love that. The more hopeless, the better in a movie, I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, sounded, that sounds sarcastic, but I truly... No, I was literally like, oh, yes, Hereditary is your jam. I hear it now. And, and, yeah. and this, so this is when Amy, we get the line from Amy where she's like, we're being quarantined here. We are being kept here to die. Mm-hmm. Jeff does yep. the whole, we, four American tourists don't just disappear on vacation. And yep. I actually think around this time when this came out, some American tourists had just gone missing in Mexico. So it was like oddly prescient or timely, time, timely. So Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember exactly the scenario, but I do remember like I, it was a couple months before this where, yeah, like some American tourists had just gone missing in Mexico and like, but it was a news story, you know, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> It's funny because I I had read your 10-year anniversary piece in anticipation of recording this, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I can find some specifics on that story. And I went looking, and I just put in Americans missing Mexico death, and it was like, which year and which instance would you like to talk about (laughs) Americans dying in Mexico? I think that's a thing, right? It's supposed to be the smart one, and it's like, no, dude, that does happen often. Yeah. It does. It re- I mean, a lot of the time it's like stupid Americans going down and getting themselves into trouble and then getting shot for it. But yeah, uh, yeah people do go missing on vacation. It does happen. I think this film plays into that fear in a really compelling way. This idea that you could go and, oh, your magical little world cell phone doesn't work. And all of a sudden you're fucked. Yeah, it, it really reminded me of um, in Blair Witch Project. You know how uh, Henry yeah. says that when she's like, uh, it's really hard to get lost in America these days, or whatever she says. I'm like, girl, no, it isn't. No, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> yeah, like, have you seen Wrong Turn? Have you been to Pennsylvania? Right. You, you are one wrong turn away from certain death. Uh, like you get lost after one wrong turn. Boom, you're done. Yeah. Well, I think it speaks to, to how just we are so used to the... 
like the comforts of what civilization offers us. Like that's what I take away from this film. It's not that Mexico is scary. It's that being out of your element and realizing that you are a city folk and you have no fucking idea how to survive when the going gets tough and technology fails you. It's like you are one step away because I would 100% be Amy and Eric and I'd just be drinking all the water on the very first day. Like, that's what I love about the daylight horror of this movie is that they are getting burnt. They look miserable. Their clothes are disintegrating, as we'll eventually learn. It's because the the plant has infected them. Mm-hmm. But it just, they look so miserable. And there was no reprieve from that suffering. Like, yeah, yeah they're probably going to die from the vines. But it's also, if not, it's going to be the heat or it's going to be the paranoia. Dehydration. Or it's honest honestly what i would do is just run straight into those villagers i would rather take a bullet to the head than go through any of those other things i actually yeah. said that when i was watching it i was like i would definitely just let them just shoot take a chance right maybe you'll get by maybe yeah <laughs> um okay so gentlemen it is the the point in the film where we must amputate legs or <sighs> else Matthias will die. Dax, I'll I'll send you this after we're done because there's some R-rated, unrated version comparisons, but it's just basically extra shots of these severed legs. It's so good. It's It's so so good. It apparently (laughs) took nine hours to shoot. And honestly, I don't even think it's the sawing of the leg because, again, he is using a regular knife to saw the legs off. It's the breaking of the bones with the rock. I think that's what gets me, like the very first thing. Oh, really? Not the cauterizing with the hot frying pan? No, I can handle the cauterizing because I'm, I'm just oh. like, okay, cool. It's it's stopping the bleeding, so we're good. Like, with the breaking yeah. of the bone, it's just like, oof. Yeah, and I love how the girls are like, oh, he could feel that, couldn't he? Because he, uh, yeah. Jeff is like, nope, he won't feel anything. And d- was he lying? Does it come out that he was, like, just lying? It doesn't. I mean, <laughs> he thought he was telling the truth, and then once he began, he couldn't stop. Yeah. He realized he was wrong. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. And then he tries to cover for it. So he did, he never admits it. But the girls are very clearly like, uh, we we know. We all know what happened, right? Right? Anybody? It, it is a really, really good moment. of Because I don't think there's any CGI in this scene. Like, it is all 100% practical gore. Um, I do, because Car- Carter, I think, does have a fascination with kind of like odd violence because as we discussed in people into the series he has a like a photography series called all the dead boys where he basically Mm -hmm. just photographs all these gorgeous men with wounds or stuff stuff like that so i I kind of like that he's kind of been into this like gory violent stuff clearly at least since he started his career i want to say i have um a fangoria issue from when this came out and I want to say that I was reading it and I'm pretty sure there was like a realism, like a realistic body horror like department. Like, I'm pretty sure that he made sure that the leg was like really realistic. You're probably right. I mean, even for Stacy, her they, they made 10 prosthetics of her leg for that scene alone when they're, when she's cutting into her, into her leg. That's so crazy. I love that idea. Just the, the dedication to getting it right and making it look convincing because even if you're like me, where this scene is so gory and horrific, you just have to kind of quickly turn away or maybe just watch out of the corner of your mm-hmm. eye. I love the idea that they still want to make sure that even if you're doing that, what you're still seeing looks real and authentic. So you're not being taken out of the moment, right? Well, and even looking back to torture porn, you know, like with Hostel, yeah, there are moments where you kind of wince. Like I'm thinking specifically of the Achilles tendon slice. 
mm-hmm. but it's not quite i mean it's not quite as grueling as this and in hostile part no. two which joe and i we both like like i think maybe this is kind of comparable to heather Matarazzo's death but that that even hostile part two is more like oh we're watching this bitch suffer and even though matthias is suffering here like it's just it feels oddly real i think maybe because hostile it's a bit more fantastical just because of the scenario yeah. involved this just feels very real. Like you're actually watching them amputate his legs and it is really upsetting. I actually, um, I have the quote right here if you want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it says that, uh, the interviewer is talking to Jason Baird, who along with his crew was created or has created and is applying the ruined special makeup. And then he said, We've put a lot of effort into making sure all the silicone body parts have the look and feel of what the real thing would look like had it been messed with the way it is here. The characters have to break... This is not a quote anymore. It says the characters have to break the legs and cut into the flesh and they've got to bleed and that's just for one character. For another, they wanted us to show a knife cutting, bleeding, and removing these binds from inside the body. We said, well, guys... (laughs) There are ways of cutting to those gags to make our job a little easier, but they said, no, no, no. We want to see the whole job in one take. Oh, and, and that, that is a big reason why I respect this movie so much though, because you're right. It is easier. Like uh, Joe, we just talked about in trick or treat recently when, when Leslie Bibb dies, you know, we see Sam's lollipop come into contact with her neck, but Mm -hmm. the second, like the motion of the slice happens, it cuts and we just see her blood splash on the sheet. Yeah they could easily do that here and they don't we see all of this happen on screen it is gnarly as fuck yeah this is honestly probably some of the best score that i can think of like off the top of my head yeah for sure for me anyway and i think part of the reason that it stands out too is that it's not a fantastical movie right like even I don't think Hostel 2 is the the right reference for me. Like I'm thinking of when do we see just tons of gore, like entrails being thrown all over the screen and that kind right. of stuff. Like usually it's far more fantastical. And here there's something so realistic about their predicament. Like this is people choosing to do this. Like Matthias literally volunteers himself because he knows he has to do this or else he will die. And there's something so awful about the way it all goes down. I also want to know if they cleaned his shit up or if he's just sitting in his shit still. Okay. So the <laughs> vines do then take the severed limbs away. I love, oh, I love that. that. So cute. Oh, sorry. There's also something in the book though, where when Amy vomits, um, the vines come out and suck up her vomit. Oh, that's I know. so nasty. I actually wrote down when Amy says, this is so not okay. But you know, but Jenna Malone delivers that very well. It's a stupid line, but she delivers it very well. I mean, I think her performance is really good. She just doesn't have the kind of character that we find as memorable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next set piece is really the vines manipulating them. And I think this is probably mm-hmm. the one aspect of the film that is the... The, the page to screen translation doesn't fully work because I don't think they devote enough time to it. You know, we get the vines that are like, like Amy and Eric are talking and the vines are kind of mimicking Amy's moaning, like sex noises. And so Stacey comes out, she gets all jealous, blah, blah, blah. They get in a fight. And while this happens, Matthias gets strangled by the vines. But Ooh. I do wish that there was, I don't know, a bit more. It's really just the two times in the movie that we know that the, the plants are making the noise and it's, Oh, actually, no, we get the cut it scene later, too. Um, that actually do... really irked me, that part, because I'm like, how would... Girl, first of all, 
I mean, I know her brain is like not yeah, all together right now, but like <laughs> she knows that the plants mimic them and also they are fully clothed and just like sitting there like how it i don't understand what well you they did i mean i think at this point and this is maybe something that the film could have leaned into a little bit more but like they haven't been sleeping they're not eating and they have mm-hmm. no water yeah like that that i think is the biggest thing is like she is just completely out of her mind yeah, like I, I think she's already lost it by that point. Um, by yeah. by this point, I'm sorry. And then yeah, then we have the vines that just go down Matthias's throat, which is whoa. oh, it's really good. <laughs> and then and then uh, who is it, Eric? He's like, well, thank God we cut his legs off. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sean Ashmore delivery. Ooh. That's some gallows humor that I really appreciate. Oh, yeah, that got me good. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of instances of of genuine kind of ooh. Like, dude, really? You're going to say that? But I think because they're so few and far between, when you say something like this, you're like, okay, yeah, wow. But yeah. <laughs> and I guess, too, though, because like Stacy starts yelling at Eric and then the flowers start copying her voice. And it's kind of this like crescendo, like it builds and builds and builds until they're finally like, oh my God, shut up. <laughs> I like it. I like this part a lot. Yeah, it's really cool. Because I, I do think that this is probably the best instance that we get where we see how much these plants are willing to fuck with their prey. Mm-hmm. They know they've got them, right? Like, you, you got to think that these plants are sentient enough that they're like, you guys are meals. We're just going to get you. It's a matter of time. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that I really, really do like. And I again, I, I feel like in the book, they it's like, because the plants understand human language, which I think is just fucking fascinating. Like, it's so cool. It's, yes, cool. Oh, my God. I'm terrified. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> Literally recording next to a plant right now. I'm <laughs> eyeing it. <laughs> Money tree. What's your damage? Uh, okay. So I do like the fact, too, that Stacy is panicking. And I remember on a first time watch, I thought, okay, girl, you need to take it down a notch. You're freaking out for no good reason. And then mm-hmm. she wakes up the next day, and those vines are in her leg, they're in her back, and she is flipping the fuck out. And I was like, mm-hmm. I like this again. It's me being conditioned as a movie viewer to say, no, she's overreacting. She, she doesn't know what's going on. And then immediately, oh, no, yeah. Everything she thought was happening is happening. Yeah, this whole scene. So again, we get two cutting scenes with her. This first one is Jeff cutting the vines out of her. <laughs> this is what Dax is talking about, though, when they don't cut away. Because like we show, we see the knife like cut into her leg. Yeah. Um, he pulls out a piece, but then there's one like on her back side area. Yeah, <laughs> <sighs> the lower back maybe. So he pulled it out of her ass. The vine he pulls out is fucking huge. It is like it's the so big. It's, a, it's like a, and it, I love that it's moving when he pulls out. It's like a oh, snake. God. But onto Ramsey's performance, there is a, like a, a a sound she makes, and it's like this guttural sound. Basically, when she's bent over, he's carving into her back, and he's so yeah. with the leg, he just Don't pokes a hole, pulls it out. But she does this thing where she's like, <laughs> and it's I just you feel every bit of pain that she's feeling and he is almost wrist deep in her back trying to get this thing out it Mm -hmm. is so gnarly and bloody and yeah the performance between the two of them is just it's fantastic this scene hurts Mm -hmm. okay but you're like well at least at least we got it out she's gonna be okay now except for the fact that she is bleeding profusely um yeah wait and their solution 
take some tequila. Oh, that was 100% Amy not wanting to deal with her. <laughs> and I don't even mean that in a mean, mean way. Like, I watched this and I was like, oh, I know what you're doing, Amy. You can't handle how badly your friend is hurting, but also you're just like at your wit's head. Like, I can't stand to listen to this girl scream and cry. Here, take the tequila. That'll shut you up. <laughs> It's also the worst thing that you could do. In case you folks are wondering, remember that alcohol is a diuretic. If you need to drink liquids, do not drink alcohol. That will not quench your thirst. It will not help. Yeah, so the danger has passed. Let's everyone take a nap, shall we? This is the last instance of the vines talking, but they basically wake her up. Because she had said earlier, but she's like, I want to cut it. I want to cut more of it out. And they won't let her do it. And so the vines wake her up by just, it's like this ripple effect. I want to cut it. 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 And it's so creepy. Yeah. So this is a good instance of editing where we see her wake up. She's hearing that. And then we cut back to the tent as they wake up and then they come out and they just see that she has gone to town on herself. And it Mm -hmm. is like, I'm trying to think of other instances where we've seen people self mutilate. I feel like we maybe get to see a little bit in some of the evil dead movies, but like you often don't see it of this caliber. Yeah, there's some like French stuff where they do that a lot. French is my thing. That's because I love when things are just so hopeless. But... Yeah. Oh my god, Dax, I am learning so much about you and I am worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a whole French movie collection of like really disturbing shit. That's great. I love yeah, it. Man. Yeah, yeah, um in my skin, she like but a lot of them aren't like they necessarily mutilate themselves it's like auto cannibalism mm. you know uh. there's an american one i want to say it's called eat no it, it, yeah the girl because she she eats herself right yeah yeah that's what i was saying they're like they they eat themselves a lot of the time it's not necessarily yeah. that they cut themselves up this uh-huh. really got me like i i like that kind of stuff and um at this part where she's like standing there all bloody you know what i mean i don't know about y'all but like i'm not i wouldn't call myself a hypochondriac but when it comes to specifically skin related issues yes be a rash a bump something under my skin like that literally sets me off to where i can't function i can't do anything i can't do work i can't get work done i can't watch anything because i am so focused on this problem with my skin like i had a skin tag once like in like my my pubic area that i was like freaking out about and i literally went to the dermatologist and was like cut it off and they were like it's just a skin tag and they, i was like cut it off <laughs> like get it away <laughs> oh i understand it wasn't on my penis it was just in like the it was the mons pubis that's the area god oh i did i did realize i'm i had mentioned it to you trace offline this this part particularly reminded me actually of cabin fever oh yeah i could see that i could see that because it's another blonde who's kind of slowly going to pieces we've mentioned a lot of eli roth films today that's true and yet i would argue that this film is heads and shoulders above most of the eli roth films oh that about. yeah he's just a stick bastard that's all yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference is, is that he, Eli Roth is more interested in actually trying to shock you. Like he knows what he's doing and he's purposely trying to do that. Whereas here, I think it's like, this is the story we're telling. Yeah. If you, like it just, it will come naturally as yeah. a result. Agreed. And I should um, say, I was saying that lovingly, not as a hater. 
Oh no, right. for sure. Well, I mean, Eli Roth has problems in and of himself, but yeah, but yeah. That, that that's another story. Nevertheless, I, I understand Stacy here. The problem is though, you know, because we're thinking, oh well, the vines have just go into her. Problem is, the spores are in her, so like the vines are actually like birthing under her skin. Yeah, like she she cannot get them out. That is yeah. not a possibility. Like she's done. Like she is dead. Yeah, and this is actually where at this point she, I mean, well, in a moment she will ask them to kill her, and they will they will accommodate her request but first she has to accidentally stab eric to death yes and i actually do commend smith and the editor whoever he is jeff Betancourt, for cutting away for stacy's death because it's like we've already seen this girl suffer so much we don't need to see her die <laughs> but just a quick clarification trace the flowers actually do talk one more time and it's here when she is screaming kill me oh and they're and they're repeating kill me kill me Mm-hmm. which is almost more upsetting when we cut away and all we hear like we're back down with the villagers at the base of the ruins and we just hear them listening to the plants go kill me kill me kill me kill me yeah, yeah. um do we care about eric's stuff it's it's surprising well, but i'm also like Meh. yeah i think a lot of people got mad because they were like why are you like this stupid bitch but it's just one of those things where it's like yeah she's fucking gone crazy <laughs> That actually, I wrote that down because I was like, he literally just watched her. Like, uh, yeah, he's uh, a stupid he just, one. Like, yeah. just hand. Come on. Yeah, she just did it. And then he's all shocked that she stabs him. It's like, dude, she was just going crazy with the knife. Why are you going near her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that cute, not cute. Oh my God, the wrong choice of words. <laughs> I do like that moment where basically she's almost dying he's dead and they you you see a shot of them reaching for each other i was like oh yeah i do love that the vines can sense when someone is dead though because they start pulling him away immediately oh yeah the dinner bell clock is just going off oof um so then there were two we are down to two all of a sudden. Everybody else is dead. Yeah, this can be kind of fast because I'm not going to lie. This entire speech that Jeff gives to the villagers, I think it's the only part of the film that I actively hate. It's so weak, I thought, anyway. I think it. No, I think it's really dumb. It. It. I. I <laughs> okay. understand the intention behind it, but it's so stupid. Um, and again, I'm saying this because the book's ending doesn't include this. Like, I think that what they wanted to do was have a more climactic ending because the book's ending is very much like it's a downer. It's a downer. And granted, this movie does have a downer ending, but you at least have the suspense of the scene where it's like, oh, can she run away? Can she make it? That yeah. does not happen in the book. And so I, I understand the reasoning for making this change. But oh my god, it's so I can't believe Tucker delivered this monologue with a straight face. Okay. I think you're being a little harsh on this. I really hate it. I He's hate really it so much. He's really not saying anything. He's like, it's like, <laughs> no, where's that? He's just trying to distract them. He's literally just buying her time by murdering himself. Her name is Amy. <laughs> yeah, they, they clearly like uh planned like I was thinking about him like rehearsing that up there. And what if she was like giving him notes and she's like, is that all you're gonna say? <laughs> i mean you you need to give me a little bit more time they can't be too close i need you to talk about your age and where you're from and then... i mean i get it you know it's oh like if you're held captive by someone you want to make yourself human to them you want to humanize yourself so they'll get sympathy for you but yeah. it's like y'all they can't understand you you already know that i think I'm he was actually... just trying to like be really quiet and like calm to reel them in i guess and it, it didn't really matter what he said well, 
Yeah. Because he's walking further away from Amy's body and they're following him because they think she's already dead. Yes, that is correct. That is what's happening. I guess the main line that he had to get to was her name. And he was like, how can I get there? Well, that's the cue, right? Because when she hears her own name, that's her cue to get up and run because he's moved far, far away but, enough. Right. But he's also got to yell it or else she may not be able to hear him. Like he doesn't want her to just hang out on the on, on the sand like, oh, I'm already dead. Oh, you didn't get up and run. Okay, we missed the window. Shit. So here's where we can tie it back to COVID, though. This is really fucking selfish of them to even attempt this because... Oh, 100%. We got a couple of cans on the loose here. They're trying to get into the Whole Foods. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they know that they are being quarantined because they don't want the plant to get away. They know the plant is on their clothes. So by even attempting this and getting off of the salted ground, they Mm -hmm. are spreading this plant. Yep. Like... I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all are selfish. And oh, Jeff 100%. is going to be a doctor. He knows. <laughs> he knows. That's the irony, baby. That is the irony. Because at first I was I was actually just about to say, they must not realize. But then I'm like, no, she actually they know. points out that they're being quarantined. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, no. Well, I think it's actually funny that earlier in the movie, um, Eric is like, yeah, he's going to be a doctor. He's going to medical school. He's not a doctor now. <laughs> he got a few things wrong. Yeah, because he actually proves that to be true, like the whole time. <laughs> Multiple times, yes. Ah, uh, these poor tragic idiots. So, yeah. Uh, so Amy gets away. Of course, the version that I saw in theater, she just drives away. So you don't see the the CGI vines under her skin. And I oh, do love that. The... That means Dax didn't see that either because Dax saw the theatrical. I thing. was so confused because I remember that happening and I love it because it's sick. But oh, yeah. uh, I was watching it. I was like, I was looking at her face. I'm like, I don't think any of those vines moved. And then I thought I was just like, not yeah. seeing it. Wait, am I dehydrated? Have I gone mad? <laughs> For real. There were three endings for this movie. As I said, the book ending is way more of a downer. Like it doesn't have this big climax. The theatrical ending was, yeah, she drives away, close up on her face, no vine. We're fine. She gets away. Yeah. Unrated ending, she gets away, exact same shot as the theatrical cut, but then we have the CGI vine in her face, and like as it kind of goes for her eye, then it cuts to black. There's a little sound effect, too, that kind of sounds like Mm -hmm. a suck, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like the squirming sound, and then, yeah, the suck. And and then the one Joe mentioned kind of briefly is basically um, it. There's a coda where it cuts to an American graveyard and it's Amy's grave and someone lays flowers at her grave and the, the vine is growing out of her burial site. Yes. Uh, so I did listen to the audio commentary that Carter recorded on the DVD slash Blu-ray. And he was like, I didn't like this one. This one didn't feel like me. I don't <laughs> Like you could tell he was like, this isn't, this isn't dark enough. It isn't sad enough. Like it, it doesn't have the oomph. So I love that. I just loved it. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, again, I would have preferred the book ending, but beggars can't be choosers. Exactly. You you were never going to get that book ending, man. No, I, I cannot see a single studio saying that seems right. <laughs> yeah. Just wait. You fucking grim dark. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the the final shot that we do get is the Greeks wandering into the clearing to start this motherfucking process all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love, it. Love it. And yeah. I, but that that's why you've got your audience giving it a D plus because it is a downer ending. Yeah, the process will just continue on indefinitely. It's cyclical, right? But I wonder, because that was what, 2006, you said? Mm-hmm. 2008, 2008. Oh, 2008. 
yeah we we weren't like there yet uh you know as an audience i guess like i wonder if it came out now if we weren't in covid times and uh how people would take it because i really think people would actually like it now i mean we've been seeing people re-watching this a little bit more lately and i've been trying to figure out why and i'm like it is kind of a contagion film i wonder if it went on a streaming site recently and so people i mean again i got the blu-ray i don't give a fuck like i'm good but it, <laughs> physical media forever but we've had yeah we know we've had this thing like it happened with the, uh, the past few like it happened with urban legends final cut because it went on shutter and like literally a month before episode on it, people wouldn't stop watching it. And yeah, I've seen at least three people in the past two weeks talk about watching the ruins. And I'm like, Oh my God, like we're about to cover that. Yeah. I've I've been seeing it too. And I was like, if only there was a little tiny man who was going on a podcast to talk about it. Who can't tell his mom. Well, can't tell his mom. So final thoughts on the ruins, Dax, what, what, what is your overall opinion of this film? Oh, I love it. It is sick. It truly is sick. And especially the unrated ending. I like that way more. Yeah. I guess it was the other alternative ending I'm thinking of then, right? Where you said, uh, oh, the with the, 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 the yeah, the vines in her eyes. Yeah. Oh, uh, I love that. I, yeah. I'm picturing it like a carry ending, like the vine like shoots out of the grave. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's crawling up the tombstone and he kind of leans in to look at the flower. It's, it's good. But yeah, you're kind of like, are we going to get a bit more of a jump scare? No. Okay. It's fine. Actually, that would be kind of cool though. If it was a carry homage and the vine just like shot up out of the ground. <laughs> You're so welcome. Now, no one can take that. Cause I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. I love that. The ruins too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't make the too fast. you furious joke on here. Cause I already did it on scarred for life, but I'm thinking it. <laughs> well, no, it, it would be the ruins, but instead of the S it would be the two. <laughs> yes. I like that. <laughs> But yes, to answer your question, I love this movie. It's really sick. It's even sicker than I remembered. And I I usually don't super go for like gore stuff. Like I like it, but it's not like always my first choice. But this, I feel like if this was like something that they, for some unknown reason, played on TV all the time. And like if I still watch TV and this was on, <laughs> I would I'd probably, this would be a movie that I would watch every time it was on, I think. <laughs> like, I could see this playing on the sci-fi channel and me just turning it on, like, every, like, three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said my piece on it. I, I really do like this film a lot, and I love the book, so if you haven't read the book, go read the book, but the movie's also really good. Yeah, my final take is pretty much what Dax said, which is that I love how fatalistic and grim and full of dread this movie is. The gore Oh my god, the gore just it it works so well for what this film is trying to achieve and I think it's really well directed and barring that little minor CGI hiccup, I think it looks really good. So yeah. I'm still a huge huge fan. I'm glad to see horror fans embracing this now because they definitely read it off 12 years ago and I can't believe that. I really can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Where were we in 2008? I was in theaters opening weekend. <laughs> I contributed to the $8 million take. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I was there. Uh, well, what is this rated? Is this rated R? Oh, 100% yeah. rated R. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably stuck in then. Dax, if they say fuck more than twice, it's rated R. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I probably snuck in. I'm going to have to, like, Venmo him, like, $8 or whatever. That's <laughs> me. DreamWorks and Ben Stiller are, like, waiting for your money. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, um, it says here we could have made a sequel, but we were $8 short. <laughs> Damn it, Dax. 
So before we go, let's play a quick little game. And this game I call, which is the shittier vacation? So your (laughs) options are any of the films that we have talked about that you may have seen. I'm not going to assume that everybody has seen all of the ones, but I'm thinking this, Hostel, Teresa, uh, Cabin Fever, maybe The Green Inferno. I would like to know, which one do you think is the shittiest of the vacations? They all suck really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Understatement. I think if I had to pick one, though, that for me personally would be the worst, I think Cabin Fever is my worst because of the skin stuff. (laughs) Yes. Granted, Vine's getting under my shit like that sucks, too. But like, okay, like, you know, Teresa's like they steal my kidney. Okay, that's whatever. Hostile, they're torturing me. That really actually would suck. And it probably be prolonged suffering. But I'm not saying I would like that, but I'm telling you right now that having a flesh eating virus is probably my worst nightmare. It's pretty bad. Dax, what do you think? Yeah, um, I don't know. I it's hard because, yes, I thought of cabin fever because I also have a thing about skin stuff. And it's just like you can't escape it because you got to drink water. Like unless you're that guy who only drank alcohol, then you live. But then you get shot by locals. (laughs) Um, There's Evil Dead where like you there's nothing. I mean, I wouldn't be reading that book, so I don't think I'd be in that situation. I mean, those characters are dumb, right? Yeah, I would have seen that cabin and been like, you know what? I'll go to the Hojo's down the street. (laughs) Um. So I don't know if I'd be in that situation. I definitely wouldn't be in the hostile situation because I'm not following anybody anywhere. And especially if it's like super hot women like talking to me, I'm like, you want something. I don't know why you're talking to me. I don't trust you at all. Exactly. So I think I'm going to have to go for cabin fever. But you know what? I'll probably tweet you in like three weeks and be like, no, it's this one. So be on the lookout for that. All right. You know what? I would probably also think cabin fever, but I'm also thinking just having to sit in the green inferno cannibalism camp and know that my friends were being eaten and that was my fate would also probably just fuck with my mind a little well, too much. I would hope that I would go out like like go out like the first guy, the, the bigger guy where they just like rip him apart. <laughs> that would be my ideal way to go. Like get it done quick. Yeah, and you know what? I could get sucked into that one because they think they're going to do something good, I guess. Yeah, Uh, they're saving the tribe. Yeah, so that one would really suck. (laughs) I do love that social commentary, though. Oh, it's great. Well-meaning idiots get eaten. Activism is gay. (laughs) That needs to be the tagline. Well-meaning idiots get eaten. (laughs) True. Ugh. Okay, well, before we announce that we're covering next week, Dax, do you have anything you'd like to plug or promote? No, I've just been kind of like existing in space and time, barely. Uh, I really don't like have any uh, projects coming up because I decided to go back to school like an idiot. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a massive project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been pretty overwhelming, but around my school schedule, which is year round because I'm even more of an idiot. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I've just been trying to write as much as I can. I think I wrote something um, a couple months ago before my semester just started for uh, I think I wrote it for Bloody Disgusting, so I would just check that out on there. I like to plug Gaily Dreadful, not even just for my stuff, but I just like 
getting traffic over there. So definitely want people to go check that out. And um, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of doing whatever I can when I can. But I would like some more followers. So follow me because I want to talk to y'all. Where can they find you? <laughs> just at Daxy Bobbin. It's at D-A-X-E-B-A-B-E-N. And if you don't know how to spell that and you forgot what he just said, it's going to be in the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Or just like search like bloody disgusting Dax. I'm sure there's not another one. Oh, no, that's true. I did that today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on, Dax. It was really, really fun. I'm glad we got to talk about a movie that you liked, too. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate it, especially because I really don't have that much going on. So I just like to talk to you guys. Always happy to be a diversion and to help socialize. That's always important, especially in these times. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers or join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. But Apple Podcasts is always a good one. And if you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Since we're in November, we've had episodes already on The Witches and the new craft sequel thingamajig that already came out. So go to Patreon and check on those now. We'll also have episodes on Run, the Sarah Paulson Hulu thriller, and The New Mutants, finally. And well, by the time this drops, uh, the election will have already happened. We are recording a week before the election, so... um. Fingers crossed in the future, everything turned out well. But if not, (laughs) our audio commentary for November is going to be on the purge election year. So we can maybe talk you through some catharsis if uh, Trump wins. So (laughs) fun stuff. Joe, we've kind of buried the lead with this episode because this is actually episode number 99. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are about to hit some triple digit action. So we have definitely held off on a couple of titles for big round numbers. So we are going to break open the cookie jar next week, and we are going to talk about cruising. Oh, I am ashamed to say I've never seen this film. Um, listeners, if you don't know what it is, it is a 1980 cop thriller horror film star- uh, from dir- the director of The Exorcist, William Friedkin, starring Al Pacino as a cop who goes undercover in the seedy gay underbelly of some city. I don't know. Maybe it's like New York or something. I don't it's know. New York. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it definitely won't be problematic and there will be nothing wrong with it at all. Yeah. yeah. 100%. It is packed with stuff to talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll have plenty to talk about. I've never seen it. So I'm new. Joe has seen it. So he's familiar and we will have a guest who is an expert on the film. So we've got like all three corners of the triangle represented. There we go. Fancy. so yeah until next week for our 100th episode we can cross out the ruins yes and cross out horror queers You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs> <laughs>